You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. out of the year. We just call it Serve the City Weekend, where we link up with our downtown church and our Lexington church and just try to flood our city with as much love as we possibly can. So we were able to do that a good bit Saturday. I was able to partner with uh, Ezekiel Ministries and Easy Farms. I know we got some of y'all in here sore uh, today from all the shoveling that some of the fellows were doing. Very glad that you were able to serve uh, in that way and just be, be a blessing to, to our city. Uh, one of the uh, things as I've been thinking through is we're thinking through serve the city really as uh, as pastors in our family of churches. One of the things that we 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 kind of realized or or at least we're willing able to acknowledge and discuss together is that a lot of times when you serve people, especially people who who are in great need, there's a lot of challenges to it, right? It's it's it can be messy at times. I think this is one of the reasons a lot of people don't serve because even when when you step into especially places of darkness. A lot of times you're not able to fully avoid the darkness when you are serving those who are in need. You deal with a lot of difficulty. You come face to face with it. It made me think of how broken this world is that we live in. That even even coming to to serve and and bring life and bring light, even even when you do that, you, you encounter the brokenness of our world. I was out uh, prayer walking uh, with, uh, I think it was Meredith Kelly and uh, I can't remember who else was, was with us. KB? LB. LB. Sorry, LB was with us. We were prayer walking. Met a man named uh, Joseph. Uh, very, oh, I love the conversation that we had with him uh, so much. Anyway, one of the things that he, that he was saying, because he, he, we asked him, well, what are some, some needs in the neighborhood and in, and in the community? And one of the things he was saying is that you, you're not just going to be able to find the answer to that just by coming and having one conversation with somebody that's there. He was like, you, you're going to have to be here. You're going to have to be present. You're going to have to be able to see what's actually going on. You're going to have to deal with it. He, he kept saying, I think he said, this isn't Hollywood. He, he was saying, this, this is real. There are real problems that are here that you're going to have to be in and around if you're actually going to be able to serve. Our world, it was created to be good, but it's it's broken, so broken that even when you try to, try to bring good, you expose yourself more and more to the brokenness. A few weeks ago, some of y'all would know what I'm talking about. I was uh, online, I think it was on Facebook, and there was a uh, restaurant in uh, Columbia uh, who one of their, somebody on their Facebook page posted a picture that was promoting their uh, political candidate, and at the bottom of it, it said, F your feelings, was the word on it, Right? So I went and looked into it, and my wife was sitting right beside me, and she knows me, and she was like, so I'm, I'm looking at I was like, well, what are people saying? And she was like, Aunt, don't go in that comment section. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know how you're going to feel. You know, I was like, no, I'm just going to look at it. You know exactly what's going to happen if you go in that comment section. You know how angry you're going to get and how low you're going to feel if you do it. Me, of course, I did it, and of course she was right, as is generally the case. One of, but it made, me, it made me think. It made me stop and just pause. Like, what is this in our world? Right, that when we discuss things that are polarizing, that there, there, there's so much brokenness that, that we just begin spewing anger and hurt towards each other. It made me think and pause about and think about the, the, the brokenness that we experience on a on a day-to-day basis. Because if you're if you're perceptive enough to see into it, you know that everybody who, who is angry, everyone who is spewing angry at others, has first been hurt themselves, right? Hurt people hurt people. 
is a phrase that I often say. So if you're perceptive enough, when you go into those places, those arguments, those comment sections, you're seeing everybody is hurt first, and then from that hurt, they're spewing that same hurt towards each other. There's so much darkness, so much brokenness in our world. How did we get here? How did this world get so messed up, so broken? A few weeks ago, as we were right in the middle of the holiday season, going, well, I said a few weeks ago, we we're probably towards the end of the holiday season. If you go back to around Thanksgiving, that, that six-week period kind of from Thanksgiving um, to about Christmas or New Year's uh, is a time that many sociologists would say that there's the most depression in our country. That there is deep sadness that goes on in this time. This is the time when we come together in November to celebrate everything we're thankful for. And then moving into Christmas, we put up the decorations, we put up the lights, we do all these things. We get around the people that we love. And yet it still is a time of year where we are the most depressed. This world is broken. When the times of greatest celebration often become the times of greatest hardship and sadness and depression, this world that we live in. It's broken. On top of that, this world is full of oppression and injustice. The poor get trampled on over and over. I was able to meet a few weeks ago, or actually last week, uh, with some people who work in a ministry that, that seek to free uh, women and girls from the sex trafficking industry right here in our city. What type of world do we live in that you need to have a ministry to free people from the sex trafficking industry? Our world, our world is broken. We have great, great need. Those in power frequently use it to benefit themselves, their own, our, their own purposes, agendas. Some of us, our families are not just dysfunctional, but excruciating. That those that we know that we should experience the most love from, whom we should enjoy being around the most, that those are oftentimes the ones that hurt us the most that cause us the most pain, that cause us the most suffering, that cause us the most trauma in our lives. This world is broken. This world is messed up. And if each of us are honest with ourselves, it's not just the world out there. It's not just other people that we can point the finger at. If we're honest, the brokenness has seeped into us, that we don't live up to our own moral standards, that we don't do the things that we tell other people that they should do. The brokenness isn't just everywhere else. The brokenness is here within each of us. I see it play out in my own life. I have a desire to portray myself as, as extremely spiritual or more knowledgeable about the Bible or more mature as a believer than I actually am. I have to admit this brokenness, it, it hasn't just stayed at arm's length. It is here in my heart, in my intentions, in my sin. This world is broken. We, even as a church, we are broken. We're anxious, we're discouraged, we feel helpless and hopeless at times. We're, we're insecure in many ways. A lot of people who have many opinions about the world, a lot of many different philosophers have many opinions about what is the reason for the brokenness that we see in this world. Is it bad education? Is it bad parenting? Is it the government? Is it people in power? Is it the music that we listen to? Is it the, the media that we are so consumed with? Many people have different philosophies and ideas about why is this world as broken as it actually is. But the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear about what the problem actually is. In the first chapter of the Bible, the author sets the context for all of creation and specifically all of what we experience here on earth. God creates everything, and he says everything is good. 
There's no angry comment sections. There's, there's no grief during times of celebration. There's no injustice. There's no family dysfunction. There's no sin in our hearts. There's no anxiety or discouragement or hopelessness, no insecurity. It was all good. That is how he created this world. Genesis chapter 1, we'll start at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So humans are underneath God, made in his image, set to rule over creation, are called to subdue it, to bring the earth under their control for the good and flourishing of mankind. Everything was made as it was supposed to be. The biblical word for this state of existence, the Hebrew word, I should say, is the word shalom. In the New Testament, it's, uh, I can't say um, correctly, I think it's erne or erne. It's, it's translated peace, but it means so much more than what we currently understand the word peace to mean. Shalom is universal flourishing. It's, it's, it's wholeness and delight. It's, it's the way that things are supposed to be. It's the idea of completeness or completion. It's when everything works together the way that it should. It's when there's no brokenness. There's no, it's not just the absence of things that are bad. It is the presence of what is truly good. It can refer to a fabric that is perfectly woven together with no threads missing. It can, be referred to, it can refer to a building stone with no cracks or no missing pieces. Shalom can refer to a stone wall that has no gaps or missing stones in it. It's when everything, all, all the intricacies fit perfectly together for the good and flourishing of all. Job uses the word shalom when he counts his sheep and sees that none are missing. He says his tents are in Shalom. This is so much deeper than the way we commonly understand the word peace. In the same way, shalom can refer to relationships. Or shalom can refer to life. Someone can ask you, how is your shalom? They're asking, how are you doing in a holistic sense? How is your shalom? How is your life? As a verb, to shalom something literally means to make it complete. It means to make it whole. And when there is harmony in all of our relationships, we have a harmony in our relationship with God. We can have shalom in our relationship with God. This is how things were created. This is our primary relationship. God created us to be with him and fellowship with him, receive blessing from him. And God gave them a role and an assignment where they, that, where they could flourish and work as people under his trusted authority. That's when everything was at shalom. Man, mankind had shalom in, this, in his relationship with himself or herself. Mankind were made in the image of God. They're more like the creator than anything else in creation. And we, have, we understand our inherent value. Of course, it's given by God, but we understand that we have value and dignity and worth. We can also have shalom, or, or I should say Adam and Eve had shalom in their relationship with each other. A little further in the story, we see that there's this loving relationship that they have where it says they were naked and unashamed, what it's telling us is that even though they were fully able to reveal themselves to each other, there was no shame, no insecurity in their relationship with each other. We also see that they were at shalom with the rest of creation. 
Adam and Eve, they were called to subdue the earth. They were to work in the earth. There was no pain. There was no discomfort involved in their work. God had already put them in this beautiful garden where he had provided for all of their needs, and he called them to subdue it, to work in it and make it even better. And mankind enjoyed a good relationship with the rest of creation. Everything was working as it was to work. There was no grief, no anxiety, no disappointment in work at all. It was always only good. There was shalom that God had established his people to live in. He was the ultimate ruler. Mankind was placed under his authority, and mankind was in authority over the earth to steward it as God had intended. If you're familiar with the story, you know what happens. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field and the Lord God, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam was with her the whole time. He was supposed to step in at this point and say, no, 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 we're not doing this. We're not listening to this serpent who was leading us away from God. He didn't do that. He didn't lead as he was called to lead. Just as if we're honest, man, is often the case for us today. This passivity, this, this refusal to, to follow God and lead as God has called us to is what ultimately led to the brokenness and to the anti-shalom that would follow these verses that we just read. At that moment, they didn't just eat a piece of fruit. They declared their autonomy from God. They declared that God was no longer their authority. God had set it up where he was in authority over mankind. Mankind was in authority to steward over the rest of creation. So mankind said, well, we're going to do with creation what we choose to do with it. And we're no longer under your authority. We don't need that anymore because we don't trust your authority. Everything was in shalom when mankind trusted God's authority and trusted his leadership. And when they did not, that's when things went awry. Sin is the posture of, of our hearts that says God doesn't know what's best. God can't be trusted. God doesn't have my good in mind. I'll be better off if I just do my own thing. It's the belief that life is worth when I trust and follow God. This is what sin is. It's the belief that I'm wiser than God, that I would be best if, if God submitted to my desires instead of me submitting to God and his desires. This is at the core of sin. This is at the core of what caused this anti-shalom to spread to you and I today. I won't read the rest of Genesis 3. I won't read the rest of it for the sake of time. But the rest of it is God pronouncing over them the consequences that will now result from their sin. That these relationships now are corrupted by sin. This anti-shalom is spreading into their relationships. We see that their relationship with God becomes messed up. In their relationship with God, we see that they ran from God. God's presence had become now a dreadful thing to them instead of where they found life. There's this distance between God and man. Their anti-shalom spreads their relationship 
with themselves. They now developed this sense of shame. They were insecure for the first time. They felt they needed to hide themselves and they didn't feel comfortable being exposed to God and to others. We see this anti-shalom spreading into their relationship with each other. Their relationship becomes, becomes broken. They begin they begin fighting with each other. They begin blame shifting and shifting the blame to each other instead of, instead of accepting their own blame for what they had done wrong. This anti-shalom spreads to their relationship with the rest of creation as God tells them that Work is going to be difficult now. They once had dominion over the earth. God says, now there will be thorns and thistles, that you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, that you're going to continue to work, but there's going to be pain involved with it. Now, this anti-shalom, there's this fracture in all of creation and all of mankind's relationships. There is now this anti-shalom, this chaos. Some say the chaos spread throughout the cosmos, the cosmos, that, that now all of creation is fractured and broken because of us declaring our autonomy from God. Where there was no violence, now there is devastating violence. You just go to the next chapters or so and you see the very next generation, Cain kills his brother Abel because he's jealous of him. This sin, this anti-shalom has spread quickly, very quickly, that the very ones the, the, the created ones who enjoyed perfect relationship with God, their children, one of their sons, killed the other. It's very obvious in the biblical narrative that this brokenness spreads, that it moves, that this pain and this grief is rampant. And we all sense that something is wrong with this world. We sense it in the anxiety and worry that we experience. We worry and then get frustrated with ourselves for worrying. How broken is this world? We weren't designed to ever have to experience worry at all. We were designed to never have to worry about anything bad happening ever. It's how God created it. We experience this sense of anti-shalom every time someone looks down on us, every time we feel lonely or someone makes us, causes us to feel unloved or uncared about. We sense it in our debilitating and overwhelming depression, in our addictions to, that we have as we seek to cope with the hopelessness that we feel. We sense that this world is broken every time we have to open a bottle of pills to try to get better. We sense it in the bullying and the violence and the oppression and the war we we sense that things in this world aren't right every time we have to sit in a hospital room. When we're bedside with a loved one, there's uncertainty about how things will go for them. We sense it in the emptiness in our hearts. The emptiness that leads us to try to find different ways to escape from the pain. You've sensed it at every funeral that you've been to. This world is broken. This world is, it is messed up and sin is how we got here. Romans chapter 8 actually says that all of creation is groaning and longing, longing for the salvation that God is going to bring to us because of how bad it is, because of all the, the heartache that we feel. And the good news, as Delisha just read a few minutes ago, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The good news is that Jesus came to restore shalom. If your understanding of Jesus is anything other than he came to make right everything that sin messed up, that he came to bring shalom to all this anti-shalom in the earth, you have a misunderstanding to what Jesus is actually centrally about. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. This is, of course, announcing the birth of Jesus. 
I know many people with this type of passage, like, it's not Christmas time. Why are we doing this verse? You need this verse every day of your life. Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring, to you, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. He said, I got news so good for you that it is, it is worthy of giving great joy to every person, everybody who has experienced this anti-shalom, this brokenness in the world. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, so all of a sudden there's this huge heavenly choir that comes behind this angel. This one angel comes like, I got something that's so good news. It's going to bring rejoicing to everyone who understands it. And then all of a sudden, there's this great choir of angels that's behind this, this one angel. And this is what they're saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. That all who through place and faith in Jesus Christ have found favor with God that we have not deserved, we will know and experience peace. We will know shalom once again. That God has not forsaken mankind to this anti-shalom that is spreading throughout his creation. But he is coming to bring his peace and his good news for all of his creation. The angels are saying it's finally happening. It's finally happening. He has come. He is here. You're going to find him as a baby lying in the manger. The one who's going to restore everything to the way that it was. He has come. He is here. To bring shalom to you, restoration to you, wholeness to you, salvation from this brokenness to you. In Revelation, Jesus, he comes in as this soldier that defeats Satan, that defeats the serpent that tempted Adam and Eve. He comes in as a soldier with a sword in his hand that defeats the serpent that led us in this rebellion against God. He sits on the throne and he takes away all hurt, all grief, all death. He wipes away all the tears from the eyes of his people. And he ushers in a new heaven and a new earth because this old corrupted earth that has been tainted and corrupted with this anti-shalom has passed away. But it's also talked about in the Old Testament as well. I love how Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah chapter 35. I'll read verses 5 through 7. This is referring to when this salvation is complete, when, when, when Christ brings the salvation that we all need. Isaiah 35, verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. He's saying the bodies of those who believe in Jesus will be returned to a state of shalom. That every single cell, every inch of tissue in the body of all who have placed faith in Jesus will be restored to its original state of shalom. To the point that, that people whose eyes have never worked before, they will be able to see. And most specifically, they will see things more beautiful than anything that we have ever seen because they will see our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. That those who have never been able to hear, those who have never been able to take in sounds and hear beautiful things will be able to, to hear the praises of our God maybe for the first time. Verse 6, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. I tell this story all the time. I was preaching a sermon about this once at a different church, and, a, and a, an elderly woman came up to me, and she was, she was in a walker, and, and she was saying, I can't wait to get there. She said, I'm going to throw this walker down. 
And I said to her, I was like, I came to walk up the streets of gold with you. She said, I'm not going to walk. She said, I'm going to leap and I'm going to dance in the presence of my Savior. She said, I ain't walking. I am going to leap in the presence of my God. When he restores us to this shalom, it says, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. That those who currently, those who in faith are currently not able to sing praises to God will sing for joy. Not just like never before, but given the fact that they have never potentially sang to him before. All the suffering will be gone and they will sing and rejoice in the salvation of our God. And every Christian that's ever walked with a cane or a walker, every Christian that's ever needed a hearing aid, Every Christian has ever had diabetes or heart disease or cancer or, or who's ever walked into a hospital or a drugstore to try to find some type of healing at that point will never have to deal with any of those ailments ever again because this is what our Savior is about. Because the baby in Bethlehem, he came to restore shalom and bring peace to the earth. Because the one who was reigning on his throne with a crown on his head will defeat sin, suffering, and death, and conquer it under his feet. I love how Isaiah 65, verses 19 and 20 reads. Verse 19 says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. If you are in Christ, your mourning, hear me on this. If you are in Christ, your mourning, your weeping, your sadness, your distress, your days of feeling pain and anguish, your discouragement, all of your anxiety, it has an expiration date, is what this verse says. That the clock is ticking and counting down to the day where you will never deal with any of those ever again. That there will never be another moment of anti-shalom when he fully brings his kingdom to earth. This is good news for us. This is good news for anyone who has dealt with the type of family turmoil or dysfunction that I spoke of earlier. This is good news for everyone who has ever experienced hopelessness or discouragement. He keeps going in verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. I have a member uh, in my family, uh, all of her siblings, she had, I want to say, five or six siblings, and all of them have passed away. She's been to more funerals probably than she can count or remember. The good news for her that we find in this verse is that she has but a short number of funerals to attend until she will go to the final funeral that Jesus Christ himself will officiate, and it will be the funeral of death itself. That he is going to come and defeat death itself, and we're going to celebrate the end of death as we have ever experienced. She has but a few more until she will see the day where there will never be another funeral because he will, he will officiate the funeral that ends all funerals for his people. This is the return to the state of shalom that our God promises us. And he will do it. And he will do it. Isaiah 25 verse 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It's saying that we'll say, finally, it has happened. I don't know if you've ever experienced a moment of relief that you've been waiting on forever. You've had a, a finally moment, a moment where it's like this, the thing that I've been longing for is here. When all the pain that we've ever felt, all the hardship we've endured, all the fear and doubt that we've ever had, the press on through will be wiped away in an instant. 
It will be gone. Oh, the relief that we will feel at that moment that we've been anticipating since we've placed faith in our Savior. My son, um, well, both of my boys were born, or had their sixth birthday on this past Thursday. So we went and celebrated uh, yesterday, went and see a movie with them, the new Spider-Man movie, highly recommended. Also went out to eat uh, with some people in the life group and some people in our family. My son, uh, Malachi, uh, he, he said, and it brought me so much joy, he said, this is the best day of my life. It's literally what he said. We were surrounded by friends, family. He said, this is the best day of my life that I have ever had. And it did me so much good to see him have that much joy. But the amount of joy that he had in that moment does not compare to the joy that you will experience when you see your Savior come back for you. It does not compare. You've never had a day. You've never had a moment that compares to the amount of rejoicing and joy that you will find at the instant when you see Christ. And for the rest of all eternity, we will have a greater, a more true, a more real, a more full, a more thorough joy than we've ever experienced in this life. Nothing you've ever known will compare. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 reads like this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, talking about in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven or things, or sorry, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He's saying that when Jesus Christ died for our cross, it wasn't just our forgiveness that he purchased, even though he did purchase our forgiveness, which we needed drastically. But his blood shed was for the peace of all of his creation. Not just the peace that God no longer has this, 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 this wrathful justice because of sin, but, but peace and shalom that restores all things as he reconciles all things back to himself. When, when, when mankind sinned, it wasn't just that, that humans failed, but all of creation failed because mankind stood over all creation. Mankind was, was to subdue and reign over creation. All of creation failed, and he's going to restore it all, which means all of those broken relationships will be restored because of the peace that was made through his bloodshed on the cross. This is our future. This is our hope. The prospering, the flourishing, the thriving that we'll experience. We'll know, we'll know wholeness and peace like we've never known before because he's going to bring heaven to earth. As Revelation 21 tells it. And many of us understand all of that that I just said, that he is going to make everything right, that he's going to make creation back to the way that it was. But the reality of the matter is that's not the only way that he's bringing shalom to the earth. That's not the only way that he's ushering in this shalom that I've been talking about. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, we'll start at verse 9, arguably Jesus' most famous sermon. He begins it by describing the characteristics of those that follow him. Many of us call this the, the, the Beatitudes. It often starts with blessed are, or depending on your translation, happy are. Matthew 5 verse 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That word peace, obviously, as I've said, has a rich heritage in the Bible that it refers to shalom. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, are the shalom makers, for they will be called the sons of God. He's saying that those who are actually followers of God will be shalom makers in the earth. The ones that are truly blessed will go about uh, bringing shalom to wherever they see brokenness, wherever they see darkness. And that's how you'll know who's actually mine. 
That's how you'll know who the sons of God are. They'll be the ones who'll be ushering in this shalom on the earth. He's not just saying, hold on, wait until you get into heaven so that you can experience some shalom. He's like, no, 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 no. I've come in and redeemed a people. I've come and saved a people. I've come and transformed a people and I'm conforming them more and more into my image. And just like I am bringing shalom to the earth, they will be shalom makers on the earth. This will be their identity. His people have a new identity as peacemakers. We seek out places of brokenness and seek to work through his power to bring shalom wherever we go. He's saying that a mark of being a Christian is that you bring shalom with you where you go. That you're a shalom maker. That when you see the darkness, when you see the brokenness, you are an agent of change. I believe he's restoring us to the way, what, the way he created us in the beginning. When mankind was stewarding over creation and was to work in it and make it good. Now in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he calls us to do the same thing. The difference now is that there's brokenness and there's this anti-shalom. So as we steward his creation and as we subdue it, we orchestrate and bring shalom through his power into it. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you to empower you to do this. This is what he has called us to be. This is what he has called us to do. This is who we are. Second Corinthians says that we are ministers of reconciliation now. That we want to see all those relationships reconciled and restored to the way that they originally were. Those who have truly known the joys of being restored by him go out extending that restoration to the rest of creation. If you are his, you got to know this. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do this. Man, uh, actually, this was yesterday. We were walking around, we are actually exposing in the neighborhood and bringing exposure, I should say, to Ezekiel Farms in the neighborhood. And we met a woman in the neighborhood who's been around our church quite a bit. And so she knew when we were there on Schoolhouse Road. She was, she was around a lot. We used to come and pray with her quite a bit. And she said, Aunt, there's another church that's moving into where you are. She said, I went there and I told them, y'all got some big shoes to fill. Just bold with it. I loved it. Just bold. She said, y'all have some really big shoes to fill because these people were here for us and they were consistently present with us. And they brought people in this community together for joy and they loved us ongoingly here. She said, y'all got some big shoes to fill. She told him, I don't know if y'all going to be able to do it. This is what she told him. That the Holy Spirit worked through us as a church to be shalom makers in that neighborhood. I say that because I realize that we ask a lot of you here if you're a member. I realize that. Some would say we ask too much. Yeah, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence on that one. I'm on the fence on that part. There's another gentleman who's been living in that neighborhood for 23 years. 23 years. He's been here a few times, so I won't say his name. He's been in the neighborhood for 23 years. I asked him. I was just trying to figure out how can we better serve that neighborhood, especially since we moved out of it. Like, how, uh, how can we continue to serve and, and do that best? And I asked him, I said, what are the biggest changes you've seen in this neighborhood in the 23 years you've been here? And I don't say this to brag, I say this to glorify the Holy Spirit who's been working through us. He said, the biggest change that I've seen in this neighborhood was the day y'all got here. He said, in 23 years. He said, the biggest change that I've seen was when y'all pulled up. He said, y'all were consistently present with us. Y'all were doing things with us. Y'all were inviting us in. Y'all just loved us no matter what. Anybody could come into y'all's doors. I thought that he was going to say, about 10 years ago when they, when they did the big drug uh, crackdown and all that, and they, they kind of decreased a lot of the gang activity that was there. He said, yeah, that, that took a lot of the bad out. He said, y'all brought a lot of the good in. What's my point? 
if you are a follower of Jesus, his Holy Spirit, as you submit to the Father and follow him, will work through you to bring shalom where you go if you trust and submit to and follow him. And let's not give up. I know you're tired when we ask you to serve. I know. I'm tired too. I know that there's a hundred excuses that we can make and not serve and not participate and serve the city and not do the outreaches that we do and not do the prayer walks and not do all the big events and block parties and all the stuff that we do. I know we have a hundred reasons not to. I want to give you one reason that we should. Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Because he has given us a new identity. I said earlier, one of the things that I noticed very consistently is that hurt people hurt people. And well, if that's true, then healed people heal people. And if we have truly experienced the healing of our God, if he has truly come to us and made us new and healed us, then we are to extend that healing everywhere we go as his people. Your job needs shalom makers. Your job needs people who speak life to those who are at your place of employment. Your neighborhood needs shalom makers. Your, the Pinehurst neighborhood, the inner city too, notch needs a church of shalom makers. Columbia, our city of Columbia needs a church and a family of churches of shalom makers that come and serve consistently, not just one weekend out of the year, but that continue to serve to bring shalom because that's who we are. It's not just what we do, because if you see it as something that you do, then maybe you do it one time on a weekend where we've been talking about it for five months, and then you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I did, I did my good thing. But if you know that that's who you are, then nothing stops you from continuing to serve and bring shalom wherever you go. Whether that's, partner, whether that's seeking to bring shalom to the brokenness of homelessness in our city through partnering with our transitions ministry that we partner with, whether that's seeking to bring shalom to the brokenness in people's homes as we partner with HomeWorks of America, whether they're seeking to bring shalom in the brokenness of lives of at-risk youth as we serve with the Ezekiel Center, whether they're seeking to bring shalom to the brokenness of, of families that are experiencing childhood cancer through the Palmetto Health Children's Hospital, whether they're seeking to bring shalom to the brokenness of people not being able to be with their parents through DSS and Epworth Children's Homes, we are shalom makers that go where we find brokenness and through the power of the Holy Spirit work to restore what has been broken. Being a peacemaker. It's not letting the healing that Jesus is doing in us stop with us, but extending it to a broken world. We unite to spread the healing of God that we've received with others. This is who we are. God made this world in shalom, but sin, but because of sin, it is broken. But God is restoring shalom, and He's using you and I to do it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for how you orchestrate. Shalom, how you're restoring the brokenness within us, how you're conquering our rebellion against you and how you're, you're working in us to, to heal us. Father, we experience these broken relationships that I spoke of earlier, but we also experience your spirit inside of us, powerfully, lovingly working to heal us. Father, send us out as your people knowing that you shed your blood so that all things could be reconciled back to you and made back to the way that they were. Father, cause us to be a people that's not just content to just sit back and do nothing and wait for heaven, but cause us to be a people that want to be peacemakers, that we find joy in being peacemakers and bringing shalom wherever you ascend us, God. Change us. Rid us of our selfishness, God. 
rid us of other things that would keep our attention off of the fact that you've called us to be peacemakers. God, we need you to do it. We need your power. We need your love. Thank you, Lord, for your victory over sin, for your victory over death, for your victory over this anti-shalom and brokenness. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.